with that, Matt Whitney is going to come and read for us. Uh, we'll be in Genesis chapter 22. So please stand as we read God's Word. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one around you in the chairs. And that will be on page 16, making moves in Genesis. Here we go, Matt Whitney. All right. Genesis chapter 22, I'll be reading through verse 19. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order <clears throat> and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place. The Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of, of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. And that is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your Bible. Lord, thank you for the book of Genesis. As we've been walking through it, it declares the beginnings, the the beginnings of creation, the beginnings of man and women, the beginnings of work, the beginnings of marriage, the beginnings of cities, the beginnings of, of uh, culture. And Lord, it's also it's the beginnings of redemption because we know that Adam and Eve rebelled from you and, and sin entered the world and with sin, death. And here we see a great picture of your substitutionary sacrifice in Christ. Lord, we're thankful for that. Lord, we're also thankful that uh, you do not change, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And as time changes, whether we spring forward or fall back, 
that your truth, your gospel remains steadfast and true. You are a God who is unchanging. Therefore, for those that put their faith in Christ, life, death, and resurrection, we know without a shadow of a doubt that we are saved and you will cause all things together for our good. And the promises that you made to, to Abraham and promises you made to David and Solomon, the promises you made to Paul and Peter and John and uh, Rebecca and Lydia, Lord, the promises for us. We embrace those and stand on them this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You guys, go ahead and be seated. <clears throat> All right. Genesis. When you hear the word sacrifice, what do you think of? What do you, hear, what do you think of when you hear the word sacrifice? I, I immediately thought of like first responders. I, I thought of police officers, firemen, uh, EMTs go, running to destruction, running to disaster as people are fleeing from disaster, right? Uh, I, I think of the military, stories of men uh, diving on grenades to, to save their teammates, Guys like Kyle Carpenter, you might have seen him, he received the Purple Heart Award for doing that. He spent two and a half years in the hospital because he dove on a grenade to save his fellow teammates. I think of athletes, uh, myself, uh, all the time, all the the physical pain and and, and abuse that we do to our bodies. When I got done playing, I went and saw the doctor because I was having some back pain. I got a little... Uh, x-ray on my back, and he says, man, you got a great back. I'm like, great. He says, if you're 90, and I was like 25, right, because the wear and tear of athletics on you. I think of parents. In particular, I think of moms giving birth to their children, sacrificing their bodies. Uh, Again, if you want more laughter, there's a funny thing on YouTube that I saw. Um, Men are are trying to feel the same pain, trying to relate with their wives, so there's this labor pain simulator these dudes can... uh, can try. And uh, again, if you want some laughter, just go watch these dudes get, this, get shocked, you know, and it's pretty funny. Uh, they're stupid, but it's pretty funny, right? All right. I think of employees, you know, all of us that, that, that work, and sometimes we have to give up our, our special dates, birthdays, and holidays to, to put in some extra work. And well, those are the things I think about sacrifice. How about you? Uh, what has been the biggest sacrifice that you have made in your life? Where you've had to sacrifice something. Well, this morning, as we just read a very familiar passage about sacrifice, uh, about faith. Uh, This passage is about Abraham and his faith in action. But as we dive deeper and as we take a look closer to it, this this really is a a story about Abraham's faith. But there's something even greater in this story. Uh, A greater sacrifice that takes place. It's the it's the sacrifice pointing to the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus dying on the cross for your sin and mine. It's Jesus' substitutionary sacrifice on the cross which purchases our salvation. That's what the heartbeat of Genesis 22 is. So let's look at this passage with fresh eyes this morning. First, in verses 1 through 11, we see a faith that obeys, a faith that is moved to action in Abraham. Look at verse 1. After these things, well, what are these things? It's the, it's the things that just happened in chapter 21 and 20. It's the, the birth of the promised child. Remember, Abraham and Sarah got this promise, and for 25 years, they waited for this promised child, Isaac. They waited, and we saw last week that God's delays are not his denials. And then we see that God tested Abraham. It goes on, it says, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, 
And he said, here I am. Circle that phrase. It happens three times in this chapter. Here I am. Unlike Adam and Eve, when after they sinned and God said, hey, Adam, Eve, where are you? He, he knew they were. He wasn't asking the question like he didn't know where they were. But they hid from him. Here is the picture of a justified man. Here is a picture who believes in the Lord God. Therefore, when God calls him, he steps out in faith and says, here am I. I'm right here, Lord. What do you need? And this is where we see right off the bat, Abraham hears from the Lord that God tests him. Now, this is a test and not a temptation. Very important here. This is critical to understand the difference between a test and a temptation, not only for Abraham and understanding this passage and correctly interpreting it, but for all of us throughout life, in our circumstances, tests and temptations. Uh, a temptation, James says this in James chapter 1, say, let no one say when he is tempted, he is being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone with evil. That's temptation. And a test, Paul says this in 2 Corinthians thirteen five: test, examine to, to see if you're, uh, yourself to see if you're in the faith. So testing and temptation, what is the difference? This is the difference. In testing, God is strengthening. God, a test is something that God does to strengthen your faith. A test is something that God does to strengthen your faith, where temptation is something the devil does, Satan does, to destroy your faith. That's the difference between a test and a temptation. And quickly, I want to acknowledge that, that this test right here with the Lord um, the Lord is not actually wanting or waiting for Abraham to sacrifice his kid. That's the test. We see that, that God's going to intervene. He's testing Abraham. We know that God hates murder, obviously, with Cain and Abel. We saw that in Genesis chapter 6, all the wickedness on the earth. We know later on that he will forbid murder in the Ten Commandments and even child sacrifice. So this is not what he's saying. This is a test. It's kind of like in the movies where... You see one, you, you know, that, the picture where you want to find out if someone's loyal to you. And a guy gives another guy a, a gun with blanks in it to go kill a dog, right? He says, I want to see if you're loyal to me. And you go, you go shoot that dog and I'll know that you're loyal to me. Knowing that there's blanks in the gun, he doesn't want to want the, he doesn't want to want the dog to die. He just knows it's a test. And the guy goes to shoot the gun and he sees that. And this is what we see here. It's a, it's a test, now, we, we scratch our heads with our limited wisdom and be like, well, this is kind of a weird way. Is there another way that the Lord could have done this? And the answer is apparently not. God is sovereign. He's infinitely wise, and this is the way in which he chose to test Abraham. So this is a test. This is a test. So the question is, how do we, how do you, how do I tell the difference between the Lord is testing us or is Satan tempting us? How, how do we know the difference? We don't. We can't know the difference. I don't know how to tell the difference. Because immediately I think of Job, right? In Job chapter 1 and 2. Satan comes down and says, hey, I want to tempt Job, talking to the Lord. You put a hedge around him. Why don't you take that hedge off so I can go tempt him? And God says, absolutely, go ahead. Takes the hedge around so you can go test him so he can prove his faith to be true. So even though we can't tell the difference between when God is testing us or maybe when the enemy or the flesh is tempting us, here's the key. The response is the same. The response, our response is the same, whether it's a test or a temptation. And the response is this, faithful obedience. Faithful to obedience to God's word. Guidance by the Spirit. Look at verse 2. 
says this. He said, here's the test. Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him up there as a burnt offering as one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. There's a test. Verse 3. Here's the faithful obedience. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him, servants, and his son Isaac. Cut the wood for the burnt offering, arose, and went to the place in which God had taken. This is crazy. And again, to us, it doesn't make sense, does it? I mean, take Isaac, as as you've been walking through, really since Genesis chapter 12, all these promises in 25 years. We walked with Abraham, we walked with Sarah, and their their feeble faith in, in the promised child to come. 25 years they, they, they waited for this promised child. The one that you love, your, your son, your only son. This is the son of the promise. He had another son named Ishmael, but that's, doesn't count. that's the son of the flesh. This is the son of the promise that he gave Sarah. This is, this is the one you've been waiting for. And now you get this command, give him up as a burnt offering. Crazy. Our minds are just like, what, what, what is going on here? I mean, Isaac at this age is probably a teenage boy by now. He's probably 13 to 15, somewhere in there. Some think he's, he's older in his 20s. Josephus even says, I think he's, he's 35. Some even think he's as young as 10. But I think he's in his teenage years here. And so think about this. Abraham, with his promised son, for the past 13, 15 years, has been teaching, taught him how to crawl and then walk and Taught him how to read and taught him how to write and was wrestling with him in the living room, you know, on a daily basis and, and taught him how to throw a baseball and went camping and hiking with him. I mean, he, he did what fathers do with sons. He loves his son. Abraham, again, waited a hundred years for Isaac and now he gets this command. But I want you to notice something. This is about faithful obedience Do you see Abraham arguing with the Lord when he hears this? No, you don't. You don't see any argument from Abraham. In fact, you don't even see Abraham go tell his wife, Sarah, this is what the Lord told me to do. He just obeys. He obeys. He walks by faith. He wakes up early, takes a couple young servants with him, cuts some wood, takes his son and goes where the Lord commands him. This is incredible, faith-filled obedience. Now put yourself in Abraham's shoes. How would have you responded to that? I, I, I got to be honest with you. I don't, in my feeble faith, in my, in my faith that's imperfect, uh, I would have at least argued with the Lord, right? Anyone with me? Probably would have at least argued. I, I might even pull to Jonah. I have three boys. I might took all three of them and be like, we're out of here right? Run away from the command of God. Not go to where he tells me to sacrifice him, but to run the opposite direction. This is an incredible, difficult task, in particular to fathers. Why? One of the main roles as a father is you are a protector. Fathers are protectors of their wives, Fathers protect their kids. And in particular this time, you, 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 you in particular protected the firstborn because he was the one that was going to carry on your legacy. This is so difficult because fathers protect. Fathers protect their kids. I mean, think about it. I, I, I just point this up. If, 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 
if someone or something comes to try to harm my kids, I'm going Old Testament on them, right? Right? I'm going to do everything in my power to protect them and to eliminate the, the force coming against them, as many of you would as well. Because fathers are protectors. But here's the thing. This test isn't coming from an enemy. This test isn't coming from someone who wants to try to harm his kids. This test is coming from God the Father. The one that Abraham has been followed. The one that Abraham believes in. The one that Abraham heard from and said. The one that named Isaac. God the Father named Isaac. It's an incredible test. Incredible test. But Abraham walks by faith. He obeys and does as the Lord commands. Scripture tells us it was a three-day journey to this place, Moriah. So it gave Abraham a lot of time to, to think. He didn't just jump on a car, right? He took a donkey with some wood and walked. He had three whole days to think about what's going to happen to his son, the death of his son. But I think Hebrews chapter 11, mark this down in your notes, Hebrews chapter 11 Verses 17 and 19 kind of gives us a commentary on maybe what Abraham was pondering in his heart. What Abraham was thinking on that three-day journey. It says this in Hebrews 11, chapter, uh, Hebrews 11, verse 19. It says that Abraham considered. Abraham considered that God was able to raise Isaac from the dead. This gives us insight to maybe what Abraham was thinking on his journey for three days thinking about this. That word consider means to take into account, to calculate. And so for three days, Abraham is thinking, he's pondering, he's calculating, he's considering all that the Lord has done since Genesis 12, since he was called. He's thinking about God's, all of his promises. Again, specifically that it was God who said, through Isaac, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. He's going to be a great nation. Genesis 17. Uh, how the Lord protected his promises through Abraham giving away his wife twice. Through Sarah giving away Abraham to the maidservant Hagar. Through their imperfect face, the, the, the Lord protected the promises. I also, and this is one thing that I was thinking of, I didn't read any commentaries or anything, and, but I bet Abraham was also thinking of his other son Ishmael that he sent off in chapter 21 with Hagar. Sent him back to, to Egypt with just a bottle of water and a loaf of bread and said, you guys go ahead and make it back. And the reason why I think is when he heard, I think Abraham heard years later that Hagar and Ishmael made it to Egypt. They heard about how the Lord rescued him in the desert. He heard about how the Lord is making him into a great nation, was faithful to that promise. I think this is what Abraham is considering. This is what he's contemplating as he's going on this journey. This is an incredible battle in Abraham's heart and mind. That was going on for those three days. But when he gets to the place, on the third day it says he raised his eyes and he saw the place from afar. And I believe at that moment there was a peace, the, the peace of Philippians chapter 4 that, that surpasses all understanding. 
The peace that you and I know that when times are difficult and when things seem out of the norm, where things seem impossible, all of a sudden God floods us with the hope and the peace that surpasses all understanding. We can't understand it. We just know that we have peace and that God is in control. This is what I believe is going through Abraham's head. And he's probably thinking, and if it does come down to it, and I have to put my son on an altar, I have to take that knife and, and put it through his heart, the Lord will raise him from the dead. The Lord will keep his promise by raising him from the dead. But I don't think Abraham thinks it's going to get that far. I don't think he's going to have to do that. I think Abraham believes that God is going to intercede some way, somehow. Look at verse 5, 22. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will what? Will go over there to worship and come back to you again. He didn't say, and I'm going to come back. I and the boy are going to worship and I and the boy are coming back again. He believes that he's not going to have to do that. That God's going to intervene. Verse 7, and Isaac said to his father, my father. And he said, here am I. Again, here my son, I got nothing to hide. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb? I mean, little Isaac knows what's going on. He's done this before. He's seen his father do this before. You need wood, you need fire, and you need an animal. We got two out of the three. Where's the lamb, daddy? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb. For the burnt offering, my son. So they both went together. So I believe that Abraham, in those three days of considering that God was going to work, and that's why he was able to, to walk by faith. He trusted in the Lord. Abraham considers all the considerations led him to an expectation that because of the character of God, because of the promises of God, he could walk in obedience, that the Lord would somehow intervene and provide He and his son were going to worship. And then they were going to come back to the other young men watching the donkey. Heard a great story about this grocer at a grocery store back in the day where actually they kept all the food and stuff in uh, in the basement, in the cellars. You had a trap door and you had to walk in the store and to get the food, you had to go down to the cold, dark basement where it was cool and then you had to walk up. And so the grocer was early before the store opened and his young son came in. And the grocer was down in in the basement um, and the son came in, and the son comes in, and, and dad hears him, comes in, and actually can see him because the trap door's open, and, and he can look up and see him because of the light, but the son looks, the son, the son, the child, looks down, and um, because of the way the sun was shining, he couldn't see down into the dark. It was just dark, and his father was down there, and the son's up here, and his dad hears him, hey, son, and his, his son knows where his dad is. He's down on the side. He goes, he goes hey, dad. He always goes, hey, son, why don't you come down here? In fact, why don't you jump? Just jump. And the son's like, whoa, dad, I, I, I hear you, and I know you're down there, but I don't know where you are. I can't, I can't see you. The father says, it doesn't matter. I, I can see you. So jump. I'll, I'll catch you. And the son's like, man, I don't know, dad. And what's the dad says? Dad says, hey, son, you know me. You, you know I love you. You know I'm strong enough to catch you. Jump. I see you. And so the kid jumps. And what's the point? 
The kid has faith to jump. Why? Because it's not based on what he could see, but it's what he knew about his father. Right? Dwayne knew about his father. He, he knew about the character of his dad. He knew his dad loved him. He knew his dad would catch him. And he knew his dad wouldn't do anything that would harm him. Therefore, he jumps. And I believe when we account all the Lord's promises, all of his goodness that he has done in our lives, that when he calls us to jump by faith, we jump. Even though we can't see where we're going to land. This is what I believe is walking through Abraham. He believes in the character of his father in heaven. Therefore, he obeys. Another quick observation is, is Abraham, in this incredible test, he, he says something. He says, I'm, I'm going to worship. I mean, how can you think that clearly? The Lord gives you the command to you know, sacrifice your only son, the promised child, and you say, in the midst of that trial... I need to go worship. That's his focus. His focus is on worshiping God. It's incredible. And what a great reminder for us this morning. Several of us are walking through some some suffering, some times of trial, some some heart-wrenching stuff, Uh, some unknowns, some health unknowns. I mean, we don't know what tomorrow is going to to bring us. And this gives us a, a good point to ponder. Again, Abraham, for three days, has been focusing intently, calculating, thinking on the Lord and his character and his promises, and that prompts him to worship. He's not so much focused on the circumstances. He's focusing on worshiping God in the midst of his trial. I love how one pastor, he put it like this. He says, too often we gaze at our circumstances and we glance at the Lord in times of trial. Isn't that good? He says, if you and I could learn to gaze, to focus intently, to consider the Lord in the midst of the trial, and just glance at our circumstances, our circumstances won't overwhelm us. And we'll be able to attack the day in faith. Not perfectly, of course. So you and I, we, we, we get overwhelmed when we again just glance at the Lord and we gaze and fix our attention totally on the circumstances. Here, Abraham glanced at the circumstances and he gazed and he considered the Lord. What a great word for us this morning. Um, uh, uh, We talk about sometimes around here, I'll talk about having a a mechanism, uh, something that when uh, a trial uh, comes upon you, not, not if, but when, that you have a mechanism that it immediately thinks you're like, oh, trial's coming, suffering's coming, doubt's coming, heartache's coming, and immediately what is that mechanism that triggers your mind to go to Scripture to, uh, to gaze at the Lord? For me, as I know I've shared this a number of times, when that happens, Matthew 6 is my go-to. Matthew 6 is my go-to. I look out in creation where, where God says, hey, don't be anxious, Aaron. Look at the birds, look at the grass, look at creation, look how I clothe it. How much more do I care for you? How much more am I going to love you? That is my mechanism when trials and suffering comes to help me take my gaze on my circumstances to now gazing at the Lord and glancing at my circumstances. What is your mechanism? Come up with a verse, come up with something, a prayer that, that takes your eyes again off 
the circumstance and on to the Lord. You are more valuable than they. Surely I will take care of you and I will meet all your needs, Matthew 6. So we see incredible faith, incredible faithful obedience from Abraham. This is James 2 faith. He's, he's used as an illustration of what justified saving faith looks like. The fruit, the action, and it is what? It's worshiping and following the Lord when he commands it. Secondly, we see this in verses 9 through 19. The substitute that saves. The substitute that saves. Look at verse 9, Genesis chapter 2. When it came to the place in which God had told them, Abraham built the altar and laid the wood in order to bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar altar on top of the wood. Now, Many of us are probably familiar with this, and many of you guys maybe heard pastors preach about this and probably said, man, that was, that was probably a big wrestling match that happened right now, right? Like, uh, Isaac probably put up a great fight. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. I mean, think about the context of the story. Abraham's 100 years old. He ain't, he ain't wrestling nobody, right? Isaac's a young teenage boy. He just hiked up with hundreds of pounds of wood on his back. There ain't no way there's going to be a, a wrestling match. And if, if Abraham tried to get him on, Isaac would just get off and just run. He could outrun a hundred-year-old man, right? So there's no wrestling match. There's no fight. There's no struggle. So what do we see? We see the love of a son for the father. We, we, we see the trust of a son in a father. Isaac so trusted his father that he was willing to lay on the altar. Fathers, this took years to develop in their relationship. It takes years for trust to be built. Men, have you poured the time, the effort into your sons, into your daughters, so that they, and praise the Lord, will never have to do this, but if, but if, but if something comes up, do they trust you? Where you have to make a decision that doesn't make sense to them. Will they trust you? It begins now. It, it begins with little James Dustin, one week old. It begins now, dads. Isaac trusted his father because he knew his father loved him and wouldn't do anything to harm him. Verse 10. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. And verse 11, we talked about even last week. You can say, but God, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. And what did Abraham say? Here am I. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to harm him. For now, I know that you fear God and seeing that you have not withheld your own son, your only son from me. Can we just say wow right now? Just wow? I mean, I mean, do we, who, who's a nail biter in here? When they get nervous, they just start biting nails, right? I mean, by the time we get to this, you, you ain't got no nails, right? You're, you're done by we get time to this, this point in the story. You're just, you're just chomping. What a climax to a story. How about the first time? Go back to the first time you read this story. Right to this point, I don't know about you, but I can, I can kind of recall my mind. It's like, where's the hero? Right? When's God going to show up? 
When's he coming? When's he going to show up like he did with Noah? When's he going to show up like he did with Abraham when he rescued Lot from all those kings? When's the Lord going to show up when he saved him from Sodom and Gomorrah? When's the Lord going to show up? Verse 11 is when the Lord shows up. Verse 11 is when the hero of the story shows up. The Lord shows up and he provides. Verse 11, this section, this paragraph, this sentence is the most important sentence in chapter 22. Abraham's faith, as big, as awesome as it is, good. But the main focus of Genesis chapter 2 is not Abraham's faith, it's that God shows up. The hero shows up. The hero in this story of redemption in Genesis 22 and the bigger story of redemption in your lives and my lives is the hero shows up. God shows up and provides the sacrifice, provides the Savior. That's the point of Genesis 22, a substitute that saves. Look at verse 13. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham named that place the Lord will provide, or Jehovah Jireh. As it is to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. What a great story. What a great story. And you know what's happening here? Is Moses is teaching us something. He's, he's training us. He's, he's training us. He's teaching us how to read the Bible and how to understand the redemption narrative that the rest of the Bible will unfold to us. He's teaching us how to study the Bible. He's teaching us how to read the Bible with regards to redemption and the coming of the serpent crusher that we're waiting for in Genesis chapter 3.15. And what we see here is the Lord is beginning to develop in the story of redemption is what's called the substitutionary atonement. Substitutionary atonement. Substitutionary atonement is this, that Christ in his death bore the penalty, the just penalty of God for your sin and my sin as a substitute for us. Jesus died on the cross as a substitute for you and for me, for sinners. The penalty that was due for our sin, our rebellion, our transgression was paid by Jesus on the cross. We should have been up there. We should have paid with our lives, but Jesus was our substitute. This is what the substitutionary sacrifice, substitutionary atonement is about. Isn't that awesome? And, and Moses mentions it here for the first time, but the Lord will start to unpack this throughout the rest of redemption history. Next time we'll see it is in Exodus chapter 12. You remember when it happens in Exodus chapter 12? That's the final plague. The Jews are in Egypt, the final plague. The Passover lamb. That the Lord says, I'm going to bring death to Egypt, to the firstborn. Those that will be saved were the ones that will substitute the lamb for your firstborn. You're going to take the blood, you're going, to sacri- uh, you're going to take the lamb, you're going to sacrifice, take the blood, put it on the doorpost. The angel of death is going to come over, and where the angel of death sees that, that blood on the doorpost, he's going to pass over. 
that we see in the sacrificial system that's set, set up later on in Israel. The temple which is built, it's built on where? Guess where the temple is built? Mount Moriah. Where was Isaac going to be sacrificed? Mount Moriah. This is where the animals, and in particular the lambs, would be the substitute that would die for the sins of the people of Israel. Then finally we go to the New Testament. And then we see in John the Baptist in John 1.29 says what? He sees Jesus coming to him and what does he say? Behold, what? The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Moses is teaching us how to read the Bible with regards to redemptive history. With regards to look for the substitutionary atonement made by the Lamb. Jesus would be the ultimate Lamb. Incredible. So now as we look back at Genesis 22, let me ask you a question. Do you see Jesus in Genesis chapter 2? Do you see him in Isaac? Do you see him in the ram? You see, Isaac and the ram, as one said, are just pencil pencil sketches where Jesus becomes the full masterpiece. Isaac and the ram in Genesis 22 are pointing us to Jesus and what will come. And by the way, for for Abraham and for David and for the apostles, they're walking through this in real time. By God's grace, we're looking back. We have the full counsel. We get to, to look back and put all the pieces together to see how it fits into this beautiful picture of redemption. And amen for that. But let me, let me give you some ways. Let me point out some ways that Jesus is appointed to in Isaac and the ram. Both were, were children of promise. Both God the Father said, hey, there's a promise coming. A son is coming. So both are a result of a promise. Both are, have miraculous births, right? Jesus, virgin, young gal. Isaac, 90-year-old woman, miraculous births. Both are firstborn. Sarah's firstborn, Mary's firstborn. Both are called beloved sons. Remember God from heaven, this is my beloved son. Both went to Moriah, which will later on be called Jerusalem, 2 Chronicles chapter 3, to be what? To be sacrificed. Isaac was forced to carry the wood on his back that he would be sacrificed on. Jesus was forced to carry the wood cross that he would be crucified on. Do you see the parallels? But here's where Jesus is better than Isaac. Jesus is better than the ram. Isaac was the promise that God would provide a lamb. But while Isaac was promised that God would provide a lamb, Jesus was the lamb. Jesus was the lamb that God took away the sins of the world. Isaac was provided with a substitute. Jesus was the substitute. What a beautiful picture. Moses has trained us how to read the Bible and the story of redemption. And from here on out, again, the, the, the Lord will unfold His story. As we do look to, to Israel later on, we look to His 12 sons, we, we, we get to David, we get to the New Testament, and finally we get to Jesus. So what are the implications for us because of Jesus' substitutionary sacrifice on the cross? Well, there's many. We could spend weeks upon weeks on, unfolding the the blessings, the implications of Jesus' death on the cross for us. But let me just point you to Romans 8.32. 
8.32 says this, listen to the words. He who did not spare his own son, again, wants us to think back to Genesis 22, but gave himself up for us, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? It's the argument from the greater to the lesser in philosophy. It's, it's, you have an obstacle, and you have another obstacle. One of the obstacles is, is much tougher, is, is the greater obstacle, is the tougher one to overcome, the other one's the lesser. And so if you overcome the greatest obstacle, then the lesser obstacle is not going to be a problem, right? For us, our greatest obstacle was our sin that separated us from the Lord. And God answered that call by sending His Son as a substitute. Therefore, now, the Lord, for those in Christ, it's easy for Him to bless us. And when we mean by blessing, we don't necessarily mean like cars and homes and a spouse, which, you know, you, it, it could be part of it. But I love how one says this, when he says, graciously give us all things. All things mentioned here is the full measure and experience of God's eternal love, provision, and faithfulness to His promises. That's what we get from the sacrificial atonement. That's an implication. We get all of God's love, His provision, and all of His faithfulness to His promises. And we see that in the rest of the chapter, in Genesis chapter 22, 15, and 18. We see that the Lord reassures Abraham of the promises revealed to him in Genesis 12 and on that will come to pass. Here's another verse I want you guys to, to write down, maybe. It's been an anchor for my soul in my 20 plus years of of following the Lord and, and being in ministry. It's 2 Corinthians one twenty. 2 Corinthians one twenty. It says this, For all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. For all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. All the promises are yes, not no, not maybe, not if you're a good boy, Aaron, not if you follow me perfectly, no, all the promises are yes in Jesus and what He has done. His perfect life lived in my place, in your place. His death on the cross that paid for your sin and my sin. That's what the yes is in. It's in Jesus. And we get to be the beneficiaries of the fruit of what Jesus has done for us. So here it is. If you are in Jesus this morning, how? Some of you might not be in Jesus this morning. Some of, some of you might, might be the first time you stepped in the church. Some of you might, might be the first time you heard about the, the gospel or this Jesus and die on the cross. Well, if you're in Jesus, this is how you get to Jesus. Uh, you, you, you see yourself, as the scripture says, a sinner. We're all sinners. We're on a level playing field here. We're, we're, we're all sinners. Rebellers of God. Want to be our own gods. The Bible says if you repent and believe in what Jesus has done for you, if you believe in what Jesus has done, on the cross, He has made the payment for your sin, you will be saved. So it's by faith, just like Abraham, by faith in Christ and what Christ has done for you that you can be saved, to save you from your sins. You and I can't save us from our sins. Only Jesus can save us. And so by us placing our faith in what He has done, then we shall be saved. Then we have all the promises of God are yes for us. You believe in the substitutionary sacrifice of Christ. We Give Christ all of our sin, paid on the cross, we get His righteousness. So if you're in Jesus, His promises are the answers that you and I need in the struggles of life. When we hit a test, 
when we hit struggles. Now it's hard because sometimes, sometimes, see if anyone's in here with me. There's been times in my life I was like, uh, yo, Lord, I, I read these promises. I see, you know, but it seems like you took your ball and went home, right? Anyone? Seems like you took your promises and went home because I'm not seeing them in my life right now, right? Anyone with me? Everyone have that thought? Yeah, we all have that thought. If you're human, and that's where we need to take at that moment, when we have those thoughts, that's when we need to turn our eyes to the cross. That's where we need to turn our eyes on the cross. He who did not spare his own son. That's history. That's past. We don't, we don't have to think, is that going to happen? No, that already happened 2,000 years ago. Well documented in the scriptures and outside the scriptures. Christ came and died for your sins. He who did not spare his own son, he will give you all things. That's where the peace comes from. It's in that moment as we look at the cross and Jesus' substitutionary sacrifice on the cross that we see he didn't abandon us. If he didn't abandon us in the biggest obstacle, he's not going to abandon us in the small obstacle that we have right now in this thing called life. He's going to walk us through it. He's going to get us through it. So this morning, no matter where you are in life, if you're on green pastures, the reason why you're on green pastures, you have a, you have a, a peace and like, man, everything is going great. It's because of the substitutionary atonement of Jesus. And if you're in the valley and you're battling we look to there because this is where our peace is. We keep our eyes on the hero and our substitute, Jesus. So here we see in Genesis chapter 2 that there's something greater going on between an interaction between a father and a son, but it's actually training us and teaching us how to read the story of redemption and who to look for. And who we are to look for is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And who is that? His name is Jesus. And by faith, by believing in him, we get to taste and see that he is good and be saved. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Genesis 22. What an incredible, incredible story. An incredible story of your love, an incredible story of your grace, an incredible story of you fulfilling your promises, but also just an incredible story of love, the story of redemption found in Christ. And Lord, I pray that um, there's someone in here that uh, doesn't know you, that today would be the day that they would believe in the substitutionary atonement, the substitution, the lamb Jesus that was given by a good father in heaven in their place so they would become a child of the king. And for those of us who have, Lord, that's just by divine grace, by your mercy to our souls, nothing that we could have done or earned, and in that we rejoice. Thank you for your scripture that informs us. Thank you for your spirit that takes a hard heart and gives us a heart of flesh so we can understand you. And thank you for the community in which we live in to, to bear one another's burdens, uh, to encourage one another, and to support one another in the story of redemption. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.